So I did enjoy that. I just, I think then the rest of the book, it's just, it's pretty much the same. Like it's just a repeat of the professor wants to do something mad. Uh, and if he's like, nah, geez, we can't do that. We need to go home or go back or whatever. And then professor's like, right, well, I'm away anyway. And then the nephew just follows him. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Audiobook Club podcast. My name is Stephen and I'll be your host for this week, for this episode. Do you just want to go around and say hello? Jonathan here. Hi. <laughs> I'm Michael. Um, I just want to like preemptively apologize to the listeners for my performance on today's episode because I'm severely underslept, but going to power on. Excuses. <laughs> I see a voice cracker at the end too. <laughs> it's okay. After the power of editing, I'll make myself sound more like a man. Michael <laughs> always auditions himself. You see, yeah. so that sounds perfect. No voice cracks here. Okay, so th- this time around, we're going to be talking about the journey to the center of the Earth by Jules Verne. Yeah, um, I guess crack right into it. What's what's the format again? <laughs> Talk about. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think you say why you picked the book first, isn't that the... Yeah, so yeah, I think, so why why did I pick the book? So I think I kind of talked in the last episode about uh, my whole picking process uh, and how how difficult it was. So I had a few ideas on books to pick, but they were all kind of too close to things we've done recently, uh, like thematically and, and, and what have you. Uh, so I didn't want to like retread the same ground sort of thing. And I, I really struggled to put, like pick something, and I can't, can't quite remember if, if I'd noticed it first on Audible or if it was in our spreadsheet. But uh, one one of the books that we've been requested by someone is, is what I landed on. It was either I saw it in the Audible like recommended thing, or I saw it in our our spreadsheet. I can't remember which. And I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. That sounds perfect. I think everybody will enjoy this book. And now that we've read it, I don't think that's going to be have been the case. So. Um, (laughs) excited to find out more uh, from everybody so very brief summary before we we start talking about it so a German professor of mineralogy discovers a coded piece piece of parchment that's supposedly written by this famous alchemist guy and upon solving the deciphering the code it reveals instructions on how to reach the centre of the earth and him and his nephew go on the eponymous journey and they, they go through all sorts of japes and stuff. So, it's, where, it's a where on summer. earth do they journey to? The the, the center. What? Of the <laughs> Jesus. Spoilers already. I don't know. We're on the spoiler. Spoiler part now. Well, <laughs> do, a, do they though? Do, know, they, do they actually though? <laughs> or is it like. The, that's an actual spoiler. Just slightly beneath <laughs> the crust of the past earth. the crust. <laughs> Were they going in circles the whole time? You don't know. Journey to a tiny, tiny bit into the earth just doesn't have the same right. <laughs> that doesn't. Yeah, so I don't think we need to do a plot guess for field because I think we even said last episode that there's no point because the title pretty much sums it all up. <laughs> uh, 
Unless, did, did we do a plot guess? I can't remember. We didn't because Michael summarised it with Brendan Fraser and stuff. It goes to Jen- Cernt of Earth, which that sums that's it up. That's right. That's yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> and to be that fair, was it completely wrong? There yes. wasn't enough Brendan Fraser for my, like... Yeah, there's zero Brendan Fraser, actually. I was very disappointed. I was expecting him to make at least one cameo. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's... Sorry, Justin, you want to say something there? No, no, just just saying, not enough Brendan Fraser. I feel like I guessed there was a T-Rex, and there was not a T-Rex. I think I remember I was you upset. saying that. Yeah. Uh, that's in the does. movie, not in the book. <laughs> I, I think it would, it, Is there a, a T-Rex, T-Rex would have been welcome, though. So, yeah. <laughs> I think the movie <laughs> takes a lot of liberties. I, have, I didn't watch the movie. Uh, I meant to watch the movie. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to watch it. Damn. Cut that part out, Michael. Let's go watch the movie now and come back. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, so yeah, let's let's just go on the spoiler-free review. So I'll I'll go first. Um, happy enough to go first. So I think I had high hopes for this book, and they weren't met at all. I had like heard or read that it inspired a pile of authors that I like, like Tolkien and uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, but I I really don't know why. I thought you know upon hearing that I thought it would be amazing, right? But in reality, it was just it was just okay. Wasn't terrible, wasn't spectacular for me. Some portions of it I really liked, uh, but others were just fully boring to me. Uh, <clears throat> like <clears throat> when Axel gets lost, <clears throat> I was expecting it to be like a classic adventure tale with loads of suspenseful stuff and exciting moments, and it didn't deliver that for me really. In some of the scenarios, the characters find themselves in was good, but there wasn't enough um, like excitement. Uh, I think also like the narrative style was a bit weird for me. Like I don't mean Tim Curry, I mean the the way the book is written. So like it's you know how it's told in retrospect by one of the characters. So he's kind of speaking as if it, it's a past event, mm-hmm. and it was kind of weird because he mentions like at times it kind of breaks from the the narrative and starts talking about oh you know the professor published this later on, and it kind of takes away from. Some of the plot points, like getting lost or um, when they run out of water and everything, because you know that they must figure a way out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it breaks the illusion of suspense. Yeah, it, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a major thing, but it was just something I was kind of like, that's a bit annoying. So, it was, it, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, some some parts were still like, so, yeah, false suspense. Like, so they, they run out of water at one point, and you're like, oh, but okay, so they're going to survive, but how though? Right. But it, so it wasn't all bad, but yeah, just just okay for me. Um, so I'll pass it over, Jason. You you can go next. Sure. What did you think? Yeah, as you say, it's like this big famous book that's inspired like all these famous authors, and then you sort of have to remember it was like written in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, and like people just just didn't have any life experience. Things are boring back in. <laughs> I mean, you write a wee story about going to the cross of the earth. Madness. Madness. <laughs> <laughs> Suppose um, this is true. I absolute bananas. <laughs> I think. I think you do have to take it in the context of things because we're also used to different stories. Not to say that we have a wilder imagination these days, but I feel like there's just so much more readily available to people now than there was two hundred years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's. I didn't. Oh, don't want to go too deep into it. I mean, it was fine. It was a fine book. 
there was good at good parts like the parts you sort of mentioned about the water about actually getting lost but yeah it was okay yeah cool uh michael do you want to give us some points yeah, so I was I was uh, excited when you picked this book, Stephen, because I have actually never read any Jules Verne, and I've all, often heard that he's like the father of science fiction, and that he is um, yeah inspired all all these great pieces of media. So I, I went into this excited, and the the beginning of the book definitely had me intrigued, and then there were portions of the book which were um, paced a bit slow, especially the parts in Iceland. And it was like these big long rants about how terrible Iceland is. <laughs> <It was> just, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I, I did enjoy, I did enjoy like the, um, everything that goes on within after that. Then when they descend into the volcano, um, the book is written in like a hard science fiction style. Uh, we've kind of talked about on the podcast before, like the difference between hard and soft science fiction. Just to go over it again, it's not, it's not really how accurate the science is. It's how much the science is a fixture of yeah. the book and how much it's a focus point and in this like geology especially and science is very much a driving force in this book and Jules Verne goes into a lot of depth about that and I kind of I'm not a huge fan of hard science fiction like uh The Martian is a is a modern hard science fiction book and I kind of I kind of like the more soft science fiction hand waves and stuff like don't even think about it Guardians of the Galaxy, Star yeah, Wars, exactly, yeah. you know, that's that's kind of my style of science fiction, to be honest. Uh, I'm still waiting for like a hard science fiction book that I really enjoy, but I just I kind of find them hard to follow and hard to immerse myself in sometimes. And I had that I had that problem with this book. And I agree with what Jason said. It is very much a product of its time. You know, it was written so long ago and it is it's so influential. And we are modern aud- audiences. We've seen Jurassic Park. You know, we've seen these prehistoric things brought to cinema. If so, we wouldn't have the same sense of wonder as the audience is that at the time, like having these prehistoric creatures described would be a wonderful thing if we didn't have media like that, if we hadn't grown up for it with that and like taken it for granted already. But I still like, I still enjoyed this book in some regard, like as an intellectual experience to have read one of the most influential science fiction offers um not the not necessarily the first science fiction offer because i know mary shelley published frankenstein earlier than this but yeah i, I enjoyed parts of it i was about i was mostly lukewarm on it yeah so just to touch on what you said about the the kind of geology stuff i i did find that quite jarring but not because of the sort of what did you say that like the hard fiction hard, right hard or, science fiction yeah hard, hard science fiction yeah. yeah not because of that so much but just because the references completely went over my head like yeah it almost felt like i had to have a working knowledge of like geology to be able to understand what he's yeah. talking about sometimes Do you it know was what I mean? very overwhelming and i was like right <laughs> um and it, it was almost like it was there to kind of create a sense of world building which is really weird because it's earth right but um there were so many things, like I said, went over my head. Yeah, I also didn't love the whole hard science fiction bits and like them shoving the geology down your throat. But like I rocks? suppose at the end, right? It's like a <laughs> they're minerals. <laughs> um, <laughs> <there's> <laughs> it's the point of view of a of a geologist, you know. So I suppose it's sort of world building in that way. Is it the it sort of does make you believe that it was written 
yeah. the geologist. That's a good point. Yeah, um, I think yeah, and I think it's like it's trying to add to this earnestness because I've read a lot of people saying, "Oh, obviously this has all been disproved by now," and I was kind of like, "Does that is that implying that at the time of this writing that it was it was largely based on real theories so that this was like seen as theoretically plausible?" Which shows what kind of earnestness Jules Verne was approaching this with. He was trying to like posit almost a real theory, it seems. That's what I was kind of garnering anyway from the reviews I read. Yeah, I read something. I was, I'm not sure if it's factual or not, but I read somewhere like at the time, obviously they didn't have the technology to like, you know, check how hot the temperature gets way down deep, right? So, yeah. you could, you know, that, that was theoretical. And then, they, they, they always likewise couldn't, you know, they, they hadn't discovered like lower layers of nerves crust and stuff. So it was just all speculative. Yeah. And he kind of touches on that in the book with like, you know, the, he mentions certain people have the scientific community. There's different theories floating about and most of them believe one thing and there's some like himself that don't sort of thing. Yeah. It nearly, it nearly reads like a, a non-fiction book at times. Yeah. Indeed. Maybe it is. Wouldn't that be exciting? Maybe it is. We journey to Iceland to find out. Let's do it. <laughs> we need to wait to June or whatever, though. Uh, <laughs> what else was I going to say? Just, just something uh, you were saying about minerals, Justin. I, I think I'd like to see that more. It's Hank and Marie traveling to the center. Of <laughs> and Marie really doesn't want to be there. And, Hank's and just Marie like, just keeps... Minerals. Keeps saying, these are really cool rocks. <laughs> They're minerals, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's what I want to say. I would listen to Hank Schrader uh, describe them. Any other thoughts, Johnny? Can I agree with what you said? Like, I, the science kind of stuff of it, like, yeah, I got, that's like, more or less exactly what Michael just said there. Like, I was thinking, I wonder when this was written, where people are actually, like, reading this book and be like, Jesus, I must go see what the crack is here. Is this, is this like, real? Like, did they know that this was science fiction? Or, like, I was this boy actually writing this? You know, because they actually thought this could be the case, like, and I guess obviously they didn't know because they'd never been down that far. Yeah, like I did like whenever they were describing stuff, like, um, you know, when they were he was traveling down, and I think the nephew's basically like, we're gonna, it's gonna get hotter and hotter, and we're gonna get boiled alive or whatever. And then the professor like goes through all like the people said that this would be like this the theory behind this, and then he's like, but as we can see, as we're doing it right now, it's not the case and stuff. I thought that was quite interesting. So, yeah, I enjoyed it from the actual science perspective. But then, yeah, I agree with then what you said, Stephen, about the, you know, is this, is this written kind of like a journal from the nephew's perspective? And he's kind of like talking like after he's done this journey. So there's no real, you know, you know, they're going to be okay. There's no real um, concern and stuff. And then one other thing is that I have seen the movie. I didn't watch it recently for this, but I'd seen it a few times. Like, and... I had really high hopes coming on this because of the movie. Like, I really enjoy the movie, but maybe that's just because Brendan Fraser, you know. But, like, I guess the movie, again, was made, obviously, you know, I think it was, like, 2000 and something. Um, so they, sex or something like that. Yeah, something like that. So they, you know, could create... They, they obviously knew more about it, and they could create stuff with the visual effects and things like that about what it would look like, whereas this offer is doing all this probably from having just gone in one cave or something like that. I just, you know, there's, there's, this is just has complete imagination at the time, which I guess she could argue, you know, should be better in terms of coming up with that. But, but then again, yeah, we did say that maybe this is, he is approaching this from a realistic perspective and trying to actually 
theorise this could be the case. It's hard to know. But yeah, overall, yeah, I thought, thought the book was just okay as well. Cool. Just one thing I want to bring up is like, as you, as you were all talking, I was kind of thinking like, how many people were actually like, how many people could read in the 1800s? <laughs> right? And mm. of, of those people, I imagine the majority of them were like learned people who might, you know, understand it a bit better than me. Yeah, so uh, it was definitely a upper class thing more, you know. Yeah. The reading and literacy was more tied to, to class and in those days. So yeah, I think I didn't kind of, the kind of, I really didn't consider that when I was like, you know, doing up notes for this, but now that you've mentioned, I think it's a really good point. Um, it's a product of time and everything. Alright, cool. Um, <clears throat> anything anybody else wants to talk about before we go on to the spoiler review? Yeah, I just wanted to mention, like, you both brought up the suspense thing, uh, where we kind of, they break, they break the, they break that kind of, uh, Tension. yeah. Um, I think that's, that is a thing that we've gotten used to as modern audiences, having that ten- that tension and suspense being part of modern stories. I think um, if you go back to older stories, especially if you're going back as far as like ancient times, stories more are just about the adventure and the journey. And it's not really, they don't really require the characters to be in peril to, to be drawn on. So it was, I think that's kind of what angle this is kind of taken from. Mm. That is also a fair point to make, yeah. Um, I don't really have anything to say against it. (laughs) Yeah. All right, I'll move on, sure, to the the spoiler review. (coughs) So I kind of want to briefly talk about the characters. There's there's not so many of them. Um, I only want to briefly mention, like, a little bit about them. And we'll probably talk more as we go. So first of all, we have Axel, who is the nephew of the professor, the sort of geologist person we keep talking about. Uh, Axel is a student of geology and he's the sort of assistant, uh, stroke pupil to his uncle. Uh, he's this like famous mineralogist person. Then we have the professor himself who, as I said, professor of mineralogy. He's a bit of an eccentric and he tends to lead the, the group into dangerous situations because he gets so curious. <laughs> so he's a bit dozy. We have Hans, who is like uh, an Icelandic hunter who they hire to guide them around Iceland and eventually goes with them into the centre of the earth. We have Groiben, who's kind of there for a minute. She's the professor's goddaughter and Axel's girlfriend stroke fiancé. She doesn't feature much, but she's sort of there to support Axel in two ways. First of all, she kind of basically convinces him to go and then... uh, he has like longing to see her again. This kind of what keeps him going. And then there's a bunch of other background characters that there's no point even mentioning. So, <laughs> does anybody want to talk about the characters in any detail? Um, big up super hands. Super hands, I made my own self, eh? MVP. Of the book. Yeah, I think I it's think kind of like, um, heavy lifting. Uh, obviously, uh, it's mostly just the professor and Axel who get the majority of the development here. And I think it's kind of like uh, I saw a review that compared them to kind of uh, Sherlock Holmes and uh, Watson, and I think that's a it's a pretty mm. on point comparison. I think in terms of Axel's sort of the straight man who's very he's competent, he's got his own skills and everything, and he's intelligent enough to hold his own. But uh, he is like the he, he's like the underling to the more eccentric kind of relentless 
obsessive personality yeah. and the professor. So I can see a lot of parallels to that kind of uh, dynamic. And then I did, I did enjoy some of their exchanges, but they, because they're both so entrenched in their like geology and their, all their learnings, it was still, it was kind of, it wasn't too different reading the dialogue from reading the narrative. It was still very dense and very full of, yeah, full of things that I could not, that, that mostly went over my head, to be honest. Yeah. One thing that I really like about their like relationship is that Axel sort of goes on at the start as if he's going to be like the professor's going to be useless and he's going to be sick all the time and like not not going to make it, and then yeah. he flops completely, <laughs> and yeah. he's like the useless one. I thought that was quite fun. I don't know if it was it was intended to be humorous, but I find it kind of funny. Yeah, I think I think it was. I think um, like that it definitely was an intentional thing for Axel to then be the one who found himself in peril multiple times he's, well. the, he's the damsel of the piece yeah yeah he's the one who gets lost and he's also the one who he's most concerned about the the water situation yeah yeah they're like saving him the last drops aren't they yeah so what about hands do you have any thoughts about hands all of them being the, the best <laughs> the, the hero of the piece i think he's the samwise gamji yeah, of this like... book that's uh, that's uh, that's uh... good i think that's <laughs> on point I just like how, you know, he just wants his wages at the end of the week and he doesn't really care what they're doing. <laughs> He's like, I will we'll go down deep. I, I'll bother both of you. Just pay me. Yeah. <laughs> he's very, he's, he's very low maintenance. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll jump into the, the sort of spoiler territory now. I've, I've tried to break up this, the, the, the book into like a couple of sections. But it is, it's, when I was writing up notes for it, it's, it's more, much more, there's like much more content than I remember there being. So yeah, I mean, at the start of the book, we, um, our narrator, Axel, uh, he loves with his uncle, Professor Lindenbrock, in this big house in Germany. He's a student of mineralogy and assistant to his uncle. One day, Professor comes home, big excitement, and reveals that he's found this book. And in this book is written old Icelandic runes. It's never, Revealed how he knows that they're Icelandic runes, but that doesn't matter. Uh, within the book, they find like this piece of parchment um, that the professor is convinced is like a secret, like some scientific secret that they they must uh, decipher and and work out and whatever. So they they spend a few days trying to decipher this parchment uh, and are getting nowhere. And the professor starts to go a bit mad, and he locks him in the house and won't let them eat <laughs> until they figure it out, which was bizarre. I thought, but like entertaining at the same time uh they try various methods of decoding the thing and nothing seems to work until axel uh sleepily fall stumbles upon the answer where it's written if you translate the latin and write it backwards it, it makes sense and to be honest I, i'm surprised it took them that long to try backwards but th- there we are uh, so now that they're able to translate the parchment uh, axel finds out that it's instructions on how to reach the center of the earth um, and he becomes super distraught because he thinks his uncle will definitely want to attempt the journey and will probably die in the attempt. Uh, so he, he thinks about con- he, he thinks about destroying the parchment and whatever, but the professor continues, and eventually Axel tells him the solution because he thinks he, first of all he's starving and also he thinks his uncle's going mad. So obviously the professor gets super excited and they, they start planning how to to start the journey and everything. So. That's kind of the first chunk of the book. 
I, I thought it was the, the start of the book was really um, it's really entertaining, and I think I thought it was you know a good intro, and it got me hyped for the rest. Um, but what what did you guys think? So I I agree with you, Stephen. I thought this was a really entertaining, strong opening. I was on board with the characters. Um, <clears throat> I liked the the call to adventure being like this, uh, trying to translate this ancient runic. Uh, tablet or what, whatever it was. Um, I, think I thought it was that just was a piece of paper. Yeah, uh, I thought it, I thought it was a really intriguing thing. Anyway, it was a really a good way to kind of to get them towards this goal. And uh, I kind of like I like the dynamic between Axel and the professor. I liked uh, I liked the professor. I've, I've heard once before that uh, the most important thing to do at the beginning of a story is to give like. A character who's very proactive and driven because the audience will latch on to somebody who has a lot of drive. And I think that is why I felt on board with the professor because even though he is so eccentric and I can't relate to him in a lot of ways, I liked, yeah. <laughs> I liked how, how much he wanted this and that kind of, that made him compelling in its own right. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Jason, you any, anything to add? Um, I actually found the start to be quite of a slow burn. To be honest, um, didn't hook me in like I'd hoped. Again, it was a lot of just this sort of hard sci-fi and just chat that was sort of going over my head, and I was like, "This is not really a good way of drawing me into the story at all." But I mean, it was still still interesting. Like, it's still like, "Oh, if we're going to Iceland. Oh, that's that's different. Nowhere goes to Iceland." You know, it was. I think the initial like sort of plot that was put forward to you was good, but again, the execution I just struggled to enjoy. Yeah, you just you just wanted them to figure it out, like just figure it out. <laughs> Don't care how they get there, or what do you, is that on the money or what? <sighs> I, just, I don't know if it was that. I don't know if it was like how dragged out it was, like them figuring it out. I think it was maybe more just I don't know. I don't know what. Like, I don't know if we needed them to sit and solve it. So like, yeah, in, de- in depth, yeah. precisely in depth, yeah. yeah. Like I think it could have been, so probably you probably are in the money, but like it could have been done quicker. The whole sort of beginning, I think, could have been done a bit quicker. I don't think we needed as much development. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think they're massively developed characters in the first place. You know, I don't think they're massively developed at all. I think like we know the crux of these characters. From the start, that doesn't really change very much. I wouldn't say there's much of an arc for the characters. Mm. I think you're here for the story, and I think the story is just slow getting into it. Yeah, like I, I really, I don't think I didn't take it as a character piece at all. It really was just the the journey, you know, like them the 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 undertaking of them actually going to this place and, and whatever. I I enjoyed the the first um, few chapters, like where they were getting on the the lab and stuff and trying to figure it out and the. Like you kind of get the the introduction to the the relationship between the nephew and the the uncle. Like it's kind of like the nephew's, yeah, the voice of reason, and the uncle's just like, ah, uh, freaking, no, this, let's do this. He's very curious, and he's like the whole the butt where the nephew like uh, tries to hide the solution from him, or like so he doesn't discover it because I think doesn't he happen on happen on it by chance or whatever? Yeah. He's like falling. He's like falling asleep or something, and he just he happens to realize that if he spells the words backwards, yeah. <laughs> so, it. but then he he tries not to tell the 
the professor because he knows what he's like and like he's like oh he'll just freaking he'll actually want to go there and risk his life and stuff so i did enjoy that i just i think then the rest of the book it's just it's pretty much the same like it's just a repeat of the professor wants to do something mad uh, and if he's like nah geez we can't do that we need to go home or go back or whatever and then professor's like right well i'm away anyway and then the nephew just follows him it's just yeah. constant constant out there that's a perfect summary of the rest of the book yeah. <laughs> I don't, don't think we need to talk about it anymore <laughs> the next bit of the book is is them sort of preparing and starting to go on the journey so they they figure out they they identify the the sort of author of this parchment or tablet or whatever whatever it is to be this guy Arne Satnusum or something I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right which will happen a few times here but he this this guy's like supposedly a famous alchemist and he claims to have made a, the journey to the center of the earth himself and it says like you know the entrance is uh, in the crater of a dormant volcano called Snafell or something. Something Icelandic, uh, which is in Iceland. Uh, but the entrance will only reveal itself at a specific time in June, for the last few days in June. Uh, so so they basically have only a little over a month to get there, or they'll have to wait to the following year. Then you kind of get a bit more of the sort of theoretical science that it's a, that's in the novel, like through, through Axel. Uh, because when you sort of think about a journey to the center of the earth, one of the questions for me anyway was like, what about all the lava and the heat? You know, how are they going to sort that out? Yeah. And Axel sort of poses the exact same problem. But the, the professor, like Michael was saying, the professor sort of says, you know, there's several theories that cast doubt upon that, like the molten core of the earth. And they, they didn't have the technology to disprove it and all, all the rest of it. So the professor solution is that they just have to go and see for themselves then uh groibin so this the, the professor's goddaughter appears on the scene and she basically convinces axel to go they get all the supplies and make their way to iceland and there's a whole there's a whole few chapters where they're just go like on the journey to start the journey which was really jarring for me like the i can't remember which country they go to but you know they go to like a hotel room and then they they see about getting a boat and all and that's it just took far too long for me i think it's denmark uh, isn't it to go to yeah denmark, denmark yeah but so anyway they get to iceland and they they hire this hunter called hans to guide them to the volcano and after they they get there they, they climb to the summit of snaffel and they pick the correct crater and start their descent so that's that's kind of the beginning of the journey as it were so like what what did you think about this part as i said i thought it was a bit slow compared to the first section, but keen to know what you thought. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I thought it was quite slow, this part as well. Um, so it's more just, uh, just falling on kind of the point between the discovery and then the point between actually going into the center, like into the volcano. I mean, I guess obviously it's kind of like finding your boy hands and things like that and, uh, kind of trying to understand what they have to do. But yeah, I mean, well, other than that, nothing really much happens or nothing exciting happens. So I think yeah. it is just just a kind of I don't want to say a follower. It's it's a necessary part of the book. They you know you could, it would be a bit weird if they were just if you just skipped from the discovery yeah. right until they're in the, there. Like you do need it, but I would have just liked maybe something a bit more entertaining or exciting to have happened during that like part of the story. But yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think 
I think the problem's not so much that they that they traveled there. It's more that there was a lot of contextual stuff, particularly about Iceland, that didn't really seem to need to be there. Yeah. Like, they talk about, there's a whole bit where the professor's talking to the mayor of this town or whatever, and he's saying about how there's no library or, <laughs> you know, where, where am I supposed to, you know, do some reading? I wonder. That just felt out of that- place for some reason. I wonder again, is this to do with when this was written and then maybe not a lot of people knew about Iceland or like had been there themselves and also you don't have the internet where you can look online at these things. So it was kind of like yeah. the, the description of Iceland. People were interested. They read about that. Yeah. So that was like part of the adventure is what you're kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're, everybody's yeah, excited. They see about the center of the earth, but then they're also Iceland. Oh, geez. What's, what's Iceland like? We, we, we haven't <laughs> even been to Iceland. Never mind the center of the earth. Like. Yeah, see, I think, now that you said it, yeah, I think that's 100%, because, obviously, I, I don't know a lot about Iceland either, but I was more focused on the, the, the center of the earth part of the journey, rather than the whole thing, do you know? Yeah. I was kind of like, right, get through the Iceland, but just go up the mountain, go, 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 go. <laughs> they, yeah. They're dragging their hands, but yeah, that, that makes sense. Oh, uh, yeah, um, I find this part of the book really tedious, and I just, it was r- relentless, uh, criticizing and hating on Iceland, uh, and I'm sure that Icelanders don't feel this is a very, very good reflection of their country. Uh, I don't know if um if it's quite as ugly as as Jules Verne. He seems to have like some hang up or something about Iceland. I don't know. It seems like this was a, a very veiled rant about Iceland, so I don't know <laughs> what happened to him that, that he hates Iceland so much, but uh, yeah, I just I, I kind of, I could have been doing with basically the first part of the book and then them cutting to like just about to go up towards the mountain where they meet hands just before just to that part or something I could have done without all of this stuff, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what it is about Iceland. I, I thought it was supposed to be really beautiful. But then again, this was nearly, well, let me see, when was it, 1880 or something? So over 100 years ago, like, I'm sure it's changed quite a bit. But um, yeah, I, I am curious why there was so much hate for Iceland. <laughs> um, I think the best way I can summarize those sort of 10 chapters or so is like, a filler episode of Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like, it was just, just it was tedious, as Michael put it. Like, it was, this was the worst bit of the book. Yeah. But thankfully, like, you know, it went downhill. Things got a bit slow and boring. It it did pick up from here on out in the next, the next sort of section we're going to chat about, you know. But yeah, not much more to add. Yeah. I think it was just a very slow, boring part of the, of the journey. Yeah, I think we're all agreed there. Yeah. <laughs> so after they, so they, they started uh, descending the crater, um, of the volcano. And <clears throat> the next little bit, they, it takes them a full day to descend down the, the, the volcanic chimney or whatever it's called. And Axel's, this is, this is where Axel starts getting afraid again, where he, he thinks he's going to fall to his death. And I mean, fair enough. I would be, you know, crapping myself if I, <laughs> I climbed down a volcano. But anyway, Hans is there and he's kind of let in on the secret of their journey, why they're there, which they've been not telling anybody so far. And he doesn't seem really bothered about it. He's kind of like, ah, whatever, pay me. It's all good. 
Eventually, the professor spots this passage, and they they enter it the next day, and they they start to truly descend into the the center of the earth. Then, and then after a long while of traveling, I'm not sure how long. I, I sort of must how long they were going for, but I remember at one point he mentions they they reached ten thousand feet below sea level, which seems mental uh, <laughs> for them to have gone down. But yeah. Um, and they note that the temperature is only like 60 degrees Fahrenheit, which sort of almost proves the professor's speculations are correct. Um, which he was previously saying that the, what was it that the, what was he saying, right? Like the temperature was sort of level out as they got closer or got further down. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So eventually they reach this fork, um, and they choose a path that eventually leads to a dead end. They start running out of water but managed to make it back to the fork. Uh, and then they, they spend like the next day searching for water or else they're going to give up the expedition. Uh, at the end of the day, they don't, they don't find any water and start to fall asleep. And Axel notices that Hans has disappeared. He thinks he's abandoned them, but actually, being the hero that he is, he's gone off to search for water on his own and he's found some. So he, come, he comes back and he leads them to this like sound of water that he's heard. And they, they followed along for about an hour. And eventually they hear it super loud behind this rock wall, which they break and the water spills out. And it's, it's boiling water. So they have to wait a little bit till it cools. Then they refill their canteens and, and they're all in high spirits again. Uh, and the stream sort of follows them along for a good bit of the journey now. And they, it means they have access to a supply of water at all times and they're also um, have a method of like directing them where to go because it's going downwards, like downhill. Um, and they named the stream the Hands Back after Hands because he's a legend. <laughs> so that that's that. There, uh, there's there's a bit more to this sort of section, but I thought I would stop here because the next bit is it, it, for me. It went on a bit long. So, um, yeah. So Jason, what did you think about that little little bit there? Yeah, enjoyed this bit. Um... <sighs> Again, like this is where the sort of peril starts to kick in. Um, this is where Superhands starts to show his true self. You know, the first of many times that he saves their lives in this adventure. I actually quite liked the the stream. I liked the hands back almost as a character. I feel like it is almost like a character in this book for yeah. a period. I don't want to skip on too far ahead, but like you know, they obviously follow the hands back for quite a while and. It is something that like they talked about a lot for a few chapters. Yeah, yeah. I really, I've really started to enjoy this bit. Uh, I felt like it was really getting to picking up the pace. There was starting to be some sort of like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, there's starting to be some sort of threat, almost. I suppose, mm-hmm. like some peril at the end of the day, which uh, to me at least made things a bit more exciting. Yeah, I think I think I would agree, and definitely about the hands back almost being like a character. It kind of feels like an extension of Hans himself, other than the name, obviously. But it's you know they're using it as a guide, and it obviously keeps them safe and healthy because they have water to drink from, and that sort of has yeah. role in the piece. You know, he he kind of looks after them and shows them where to go. So definitely, hundred percent agree with you on that. Yeah, I I enjoyed this part of the book as well. Um, I thought it was really good. It was uh, it, it was really effective at building the the tension um and i thought i did i really did feel the sense of wonder and these parts especially when they start talking about the fact that the the ocean is over them that was a kind of 
that that kind of blew my mind as like imagine being beneath mm. the entire ocean that's it, it kind of get give a good sense of scale to the imagination and everything and as Jason said we start to get peril and, and stakes introduced here to the to the characters it makes it a bit more interesting it's a bit more of a, a modern story here you know it, it kind of part it kind of matches the kind of fiction that we're used to reading where characters have a, a very straightforward goal they have a straightforward mission in this case it's to find water uh, which is one of the i think it's one of the strongest human urges you know to it's probably arguably the strongest to 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 have water so it's a very compelling goal to have and to follow along with um yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was strong, a strong part of the the book. And as you said, Hans, yeah, absolute, absolute hero, man himself. The the part about the water being above them that that definitely gave me like not chills, but it was like, oh, that's that's kind of creepy in a way. Yeah, you know. Um, but it was also actually that's where I started wondering. I was like, so they're not going straight down. I, it was probably mentioned about ten times before this, but they're not going straight down. It's like. Almost horizontal a bit. Yeah. Do you know? Which was kind of weird, but yeah. Uh, Johnny, any thoughts? I mean, uh, just more or less with them. The guy said, um, the, like, the, uh, this book has kind of a very realistic take on it. Like, the, the problem of having to get water is like, I think it's something you wouldn't really even consider in like a normal kind of fantasy book. You know, you're, for example, in the movie, the problems they face is getting chased by T-Rexes and things like that. <laughs> so, whereas this here is a very realistic problem, again, that I think when this was written, you know, he was thinking about, you know, what what would be a realistic problem that you would face down here? Well, probably because of the heat and stuff, you know, water would be an issue and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, it does, yeah, it's definitely picked up at this part from the last um chapter but then again yeah it's just kind of a case of here you get the arguments of the between the professor and the nephew being like i think they basically come to the conclusion it's like if we don't find water we'll we'll go back and then you know they get to the point where they don't find it and then they're actually not going to be able to go back because they've they've waited too long and they're going to die of dehydration or whatever yeah um so it's just kind of like uh that 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 whole arguing kind of thing just repeats from here on but um like no it was, it was an okay chapter or a couple of chapters big, big time yeah i mean one one thing i was wondering is like okay so obviously they've been traveling for a few days but surely you would have brought more water than a few days worth like if you're traveling you know to the center of the earth i think they did discuss that i think there's a start there's a there's a bit at the start where essentially like professor Lindenbrock's like no nah, we only need a wee bit of water we'll find the spring down there <laughs> Sounds like I'm alright. Because like, <laughs> yeah, like the man's so like so egotistical, <laughs> so like full hubris. Like he's just like, nah, be grand. There'll be water down there. Yeah, so I mean, I suppose you are. Yes, I guess you are more likely to find water than food. So uh, yeah, you can, I suppose you have to weigh it up <laughs> about which more you're gonna take. You know. Okay, so <clears throat> the next little bit then. So uh, one one day as they're traveling, Axel gets distracted. And starts to become lost. He realizes after, uh, don't, don't, not even sure how long that it, that the other two aren't behind him anymore. And he begins to panic and tries to retrace his steps. But that, that kind of causes more confusion because he realizes that the hands back is no longer at his feet. And so he's, he's not sure which way, you know, has he gone backwards on himself or has he gone forwards? So then he becomes super lost. 
and, and, and super panicked. Then his lamp gets damaged and he's now in pitch black. And he, he sort of panics, runs around and hits his head and passes out. Um, but then he, he regains consciousness and he can sort of hear the sounds of, I think he hears an explosion and then some voices. And he realizes that the sound is being like conducted along the wall of the tunnel. And he's able to use that to communicate with his uncle. And they, they, by speaking to each other, they're able to like measure how long it takes for the voice, for each, each other's voice to, to carry. I think something like 40 seconds is in my head. If each can remember. Yeah, 20 seconds there and 20 seconds back. Yeah, so, so it takes like a 40 second round trip. So the, so the professor's able to work out that Axel's about four miles away. How he worked that out, I'll never know. Times the speed of sound free, uh, solid. Thank you, Johnny. There we go. The re- a resident scientist, good man. Um, so there, so Axel's like four miles away and that gives him a bit of hope. He slides down this passageway, uh, and eventually goes under a tumble and, you know, hits his head and passes out again. We, we see more of like, uh, the, the sort of damsel side of Axel here. Um, but when he wakes up, he finds that it, his uncle and Hans and that they've bandaged his wounds and, um, you know, that he's safe again, in a sense. So he starts to, he has a little rest, but he begins to hear waves. And that's kind of where we'll leave this little section. So, um, Johnny, let's start with you. What, what did you think about this? Like the, you know, Axel getting lost and finding his way back and everything? Um, I mean, he was having an absolute disaster here, like with the first getting lost, then, uh, I suppose he was a bit lost and then he gets more lost and then he bangs his head and the lights go off like it's just an absolute nightmare like it's uh, I think if you like just even thinking about it like it'll probably be the worst way to die like just to be yeah. lost and patch black would be horrible in the middle of the, the sea under uh, the sea under the sea fucking the middle like no one's gonna find you there's only two other people there like, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I, I did like the whole concept of the using the the sound and stuff through the wall and like the the wee kind of sweet spot where I could hear them. So Jammy though, right? Like, it was the chances. Because uh, he had to be like standing at a specific spot. And then, I mean, I liked, I just liked that, you know, it was kind of a little side disaster because it felt like, I guess like that would be another case, like them getting separated under here as well because there only us three of them are getting lost because, I mean, they have absolutely no idea where, they're, where they are or this is, yeah. you know, no one's ever been here. So, Again, another very realistic uh, uh, problem that they would have faced down there. You know, he's 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 definitely covering all the realistic problems uh, they offer. Yeah, big time. I mean, it it is a like I was trying to think what what would I do if this happened to me? Like, what would you do? Would you would you try and retrace, or would you just kind of stay where you are? <laughs> well, I think after ha- having read this, I'd be running around all the walls trying to find the sonic sweet spot. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. There we go. Just in case uh, anybody gets lost under the earth, look for the Sonic Sweet, sweet Swap. Um, keep that in mind. Right. Just, what's that, Michael? I said I'll keep that in mind. Keep that in mind, eh? Uh, <laughs> Jason, what did you think about this part of the book? Yeah. Um, I think this was probably my favourite section. Probably just between like finding the hands back and losing the hands back and just a sort of sense of dread I felt for Axel I mean yeah he does pass out a lot just probably get that checked <laughs> but uh, I thought I thought ah, there's something going on there like um, but yeah I, I 
generally just thought that this was like a quite exciting section of up until that point what a quite a painfully slow at times and boring book it certainly sort of picked up at this stage see that that's interesting to me because this is the part where i you know that um the sort of tension was lost because i knew that he got out of it completely like uh, he'd already said something i can't remember what it was he said but he said something where like you know my uncle published his diary or whatever so i knew that he was going to be found again and so there was no suspense there so it's it's interesting that you really liked it um, i think but that's cool yeah no i did enjoy this but cool uh i have a gone uh michael what did you think yeah i i enjoyed this section of the book as well um i think that the whole getting lost underground thing is absolutely terrifying um yeah. i've watched i like watch videos of like you know those people who like they dive and then they go cave diving and it's like i can see the i can sort of see the appeal to them because it's like you could potentially see a place that no human eyes have ever witnessed before so there's like this really cool sense of discovery and adventure which is present in this book as well but there's also the fact that no human has ever been there before these tunnels haven't been tested you could get lost you could get stuck somewhere you could that could be the end of it it's just it's always been a big fear of mine that's why the the descent the horror movie is one of my scariest horror movies because it's just this tunnel system so yeah it definitely got to me i was i was feeling a bit claustrophobic listening to this part as i was walking and um i thought i thought it was an effective part of the book Oh, so you were like fully immersed. That's interesting to me as well. Like yeah, I, I, I really, this would be definitely one of my worst ways to die, to die in like an isolated cave or something like this. Have you ever seen those people who like go under the Paris catacombs? Uh, not in real life. I've seen, I've seen some movies based on the Paris catacombs. I've seen, I've seen some videos on like YouTube. People go like, obviously you're not supposed, you're not allowed to go in there. They like. You know, there's secret entrances or whatever, and they break in, and you know they're walking around, and it's like you could get lost at any moment, and you're you're just you're screwed basically, and that is what you were t- describing there. That's that's the vibe that I'm getting. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't get that with the book though. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so next little bit. So the next part, uh, Axel kind of he's he's not fully recovered, but he's he's able to kind of walk around and he discovers that they've ended up at a, a sea, like a subterranean sea, which the professor is named after himself. So it's the Lindenbrock Sea. There also appears to be clouds with a white light shining through them, which is super weird when you're underground. You know, it's <laughs> like you're you're back on the surface again, but. Axel theorizes to, that the, the light is caused by um, some electricity that's gathered in the air. Again, don't understand that part, but I'll, I'll take it. <coughs> they discover some giant mushrooms that the professor theorizes... Oh, sorry, they discover some giant mushrooms and the professor theorizes that animals live there in, in the cavern at some point as well. They, they construct a raft because they want to sail across the sea, hoping that they'll find uh, you know another plot of land. Or, or an island or something, and they they, they travel from from what they've called Port Groiben, which is the sort of their departure point. They catch some fish that were previously thought to have been extinct, and after several days, they come up upon these two creatures that are fighting. I, you're gonna have to help me with the pronunciations here, but I think it's an ichthyosaurus, an ichthyosaur, and a plesiosaur. 
Is that yeah, correct? Yeah. yeah. Spot on. Uh, one is like a serpent, like dinosaur thing, and another is like a massive crocodile, cro- crocodilian like creature, which sounds absolutely terrifying. But they they fight for a long time, and the crocodile creature eventually kills the other one and vanishes back into the sea. But that sort of sets the the, the parties like on edge because you know another one could appear at any point and they'd be screwed basically. But they continue onward on their little raft, and eventually they hear this big roaring sound, and they have a little bit of panic because you know first thought it's another one of them monsters. Uh, but it leads them to a little island that they call Axel Island. And for a moment, I thought that this was like a little bit of like, not exactly foresh- well, yeah, foreshadowing that Axel wouldn't get back to Groiben. But then I kind of remembered about the, you know, the, the past tense <laughs> nature of the book. So I thought, oh, never mind. Maybe that's a wasted opportunity. I'm not sure. But anyway, they, they continue on and they get caught up in a storm and the raft collides with this, um, this this shore that they find. Um, oh, and Axel's also like uh, almost electrocuted at one point before Han saves him because he's he's a legend. Um, but they they deduced <laughs> that the storm has brought them back to the same shore that they were on, which had Port Groiben and everything. So that's kind of the the penultimate section of the book. Michael, any thoughts on their sea journey? Uh, yeah, uh, this is sort of a part now. I was alluding to when I and my like. Uh, initial summary where i said the book is very much a product of its time compared to what modern audiences might expect here we get we just get it kind of get a taste you know these massive prehistoric beasts and it does it does evoke a sense of wonder you know to think of things that are extinct living here and and i like how it's treated so earnestly by jules verne it's not you know i haven't seen the movie but i've seen like the trailer i think and i think i've seen parts of it but it looks very fantastical and there's a t-rex i think everybody knows that now <laughs> this this is a lot more grounded even with fantastic things happen so it kind of makes you f- appreciate the the fantastic things more it's just if this was written to a more modern audience with all that we've seen now there would be a lot more of this it was just kind of, it was just a bit of a taster but I, I appreciated what was there, but it was just, it kind of flew by when it was just, you were, you felt like, oh, this is the meat, and then the meat was gone. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely wanted more, um, yeah. more creatures. But yeah. yeah. Jason, what did, what did you think about the, the monsters and the sea? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like this is what I was waiting for. I was waiting for this moment. I was waiting for the T-Rex. <laughs> um, never got the T-Rex. I, I suppose in my head I had like, I had like other ideas of what would happen at this stage. I thought they would maybe have to like, you know, survive the creature somehow. There may be more peril. Um, I did like the storm. I like, I maybe I'm jumping ahead a wee bit, but I like sort of the outcome of what happened with the storm. Uh, I don't really know if I loved what, what they did with, with the creatures with the compass, in this. Yeah. yeah, with the compass, yeah. But I don't really know if I loved what they'd done with the creatures here. I feel like it was very just like, well, here, here they are, and, and that's about it. Aye. Yeah, there's no, there's no real plot going on in these sections of the books. It's just, it is just an odyssey. It's just a safari. Yeah. Again, I, yeah. I suspect. Again, I haven't seen the movie, but I suspect that there's like a plot in this part. There's, 
maybe somebody is stuck somewhere at this part and they have to get to them or, or something but there, there's no it's just you are just seeing amazing things and again i think that is just the era that the book was written in kind of yeah i i think that makes a lot of sense yeah uh johnny anything to add i mean yeah like uh, like i said i've seen the movie and the movie is very fantastical and stuff like that's very fantasy this at least kind of brought a bit of that into it like i was kind of this is kind of what i was waiting for was you know they when they go on to they find this like completely different world where essentially i mean in the movie it's more or less like prehistoric creatures are still alive because obviously they've been cut off from the rest of the world i mean i don't know how they got there probably this was connected to the world at some stage but yeah it's i think i think he mentions that in the book the professor mentions something like they were kind of there and then the world sort of like grew all around them sort of thing or something like that or there was like a depression in the earth or something and then i can't really remember yeah i mean it also could have been the case that this life started down here and then they moved up yeah i think i think that sounds like something he might have said yeah so uh who knows but um yeah i mean this is this is kind of what i was the part i was waiting for and most excited about so yeah it doesn't maybe be as exciting as like the movie makes it um with the like you know he gets chased by the dinosaur and things like that this is more like them observing these things but um yeah it's still still quite interesting um i think he talks to you at points about like you know trilobites and stuff which are like you know even before dinosaur kind of times and stuff so yeah, just sort of, I find that kind of stuff interesting. Cool, yeah. I think I think Michael had the nail on the head with a safari comment. I think that's the perfect way to describe it. And especially going into this next section. <clears throat> this is this is kind of like the last last little bit of the book. So they they end up on this island, or not on this island, on this like shoreline. And they they think they're near Port Port Graubin again. Uh like the, the whole sea journey was, was, was wasted. So the professor wants to set back out on the sea again. And of course, Axel doesn't want to because they've just they nearly died, and there were two monsters, and they were caught up in a storm and everything. But of course, the, prof- the professor sort of relents and says, oh, "Okay, we'll, we'll look around the shore first, but then we're going back out on that sea." But then they, they they come across like a pile of fossils, including one that looks like a human skull that's alongside like pterodactyls and mastodons and other extinct animals. And they think this is this is a huge like this you know this scientific discovery because it, it would like it would be irrefu- irrefutable proof that humans lived alongside dinosaurs, which would be madness. Then they come across a herd of mastodons and what seems to be a twelve foot humanoid type creature that's sort of like herding them. And then that this is kind of like another uh, instance that sort of safari like feeling where they only really observe. You know, these mastodons and the humanoid person, they, they never kind of, you know, meet them or anything, which might be a missed opportunity, I'm not sure. But they, they, they eventually retreat because they think, you know, that boy's going to batter us, sort of thing, if he sees us. They make their way back to the shoreline. The professor discovers a dagger and determines that it's a couple hundred years old and has been used to carve away at stone. They notice, like, a granite slab, which they see is marked for AS, which they presume means RNA. Satanusum, the the guy who wrote the part, the, you know, the instructions and everything. And they decide to follow that to, like, this rock wall. And sorry, they decide to follow, like, the where the slab is kind of pointing to, to this rock wall that they think is the, the the next passage that they need to get through. 
So they set on the ra- they set up all the blasting powder, sit on the raft and blow a big hole, which then causes all the, the water to like rush into this hole and pulls the raft in with them. And they kind of descend downwards for, for hours in darkness. But eventually the raft starts to go upwards for like, at like a very brisk pace and Axel realizes the compass has stopped working, which Jason alluded to earlier. Um, so they're not really sure, you know, which way they're going or anything. They kind of go up this like shaft uh, and it gets really turbulent and the professor realizes that they're, they're being swept up in a volcanic eruption. But he says it's actually really good because they won't starve to death. <laughs> Which is, uh, <laughs> I don't know how, I, I don't know how to feel about that, but yeah. Uh, eventually the raft gets forced out of the volcano and back out into open air. So they're effectively, their journey back has been made a hundred times easier. Um, but they re- recognize that they're not in Iceland anymore and they're not sure where they are. Come across this kid who tells them that they're in Stromboli, which is an island in the Mediterranean. Make their way home to Germany, and now everybody in the town knows that they've been on this journey because the housekeepers have mouthpiece. Uh, <laughs> some scientists like refuse to believe the professor's account of their journey, but others think they've you know praised them for their discovery and everything. Hans goes home, absolute hero, salute to him. <laughs> and then Ax- Axel and Groiben get married and the professor's super famous and popular and he's happy. And that's that's the end of the book. Um, for me, it was kind of like a anticlimactic end in a way. Like Obviously, them shooting out of the volcano is madness, but <laughs> it, I didn't see it coming at all. It, you know, they, they, it, it seemed like they were going to go further in, but then they end up getting out by accident. It's kind of... I didn't know how to feel about that, but Part of me was glad it was over. <laughs> uh, so, Michael, do you want to take it away for the last section there? Yeah, um, I guess I'll continue on in the same vein where I was last time saying how it was like a safari. And this is like saying, you know, the ride's over, the show's over, everybody go home. It was kind of, Get out I, of here, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I kind of agree with... I think you used the absolute perfect word, Stephen, which is anticlimactic. I did find it a bit anticlimactic. Um, I just, I thought there would have, it should have been a bit more, but, uh, yeah, it's it just, a, it's, I, I was expecting a bit, a bit more to go on when, when they actually got to where they were going and for like there to be some kind of thematic re- resonance or reason or purpose to this all, but, um, I guess, again, that's probably just my modern sensibilities and f- comes from the stories that I'm used to consuming as a, as a person of the 21st century. Cause I don't really actually read that much old fiction. Uh, the oldest book I've ever read is Don Quixote, which is 1600s, I believe. But apart from that, I don't really read beyond the 1900s. So, uh, it's, it's kind of out of my comfort zone. But yeah, it was, it was about anticlimactic and it was about tied too neat it was it was tied onto a neat little bow but it was like too neat nearly i don't know yeah mm-hmm. absolutely yeah yeah for sure another thing that i thought just just to kind of sidetrack for a second but the f- like surely they should have like got injured in some way getting shot out of a volcano like how come they're totally fine that that part doesn't sit right with me <laughs> like yeah um I think he's, you know, it is described that they shoot out of the volcano, and that just seems like they're all going to die. But I don't know. Especially on a wooden raft. Like. Uh, well, yeah. Well, 
if you watch the movie, they shoot out on like a wooden thing and then they kind of ride down the side of the volcano like a sleigh. Mm. Right. So, <laughs> As you do. That being said, they do that in Utley where there's like, I think it's like a grape farm is on the, it's like Mount Etna or Mount Vesuvius or whatever. There's like a grape farm. So there's like grapes are like grown on basically wires and they're like riding down this all through the grapes and the wires at like whatever speed. And I'm like, they would definitely have got their heads cut off like by, by yeah. the speed they go. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what happens. It's very unrealistic, but once you see it, you can at least, you know, fathom that it could be possible. Right. Yeah, I mean, strangely, that was the hardest bit like of this book <laughs> for me to comprehend, yeah. which is mad. Yeah, but yeah. I agree. Um, anyway, uh, Johnny, do you want to continue on there? Are you any other thoughts? Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think this just kind of ended quite promptly. Um, yeah. They kind of just like, right, let's let's seize the and then they just kind of find the the exits very easily and just no baller shoots them up and then. The, the whole then kind of like I think it's the very last chapter of them explaining kind of what happened to them as- afterwards like Hans goes back to Iceland or his family or whatever and we don't know if we'll see him again and stuff you know quite sad but um, <laughs> I think um, I he's come back in I know I think I think the nephew <laughs> to be fair um, says he will he will try and see him again um, and then the uncle um, I can't what actually happens with him in terms of the, the credit he, he does get the credit doesn't he I think he does. He does get credit, but there's still like a lot of people that uh, don't believe it. Think yeah. he's lying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's he, kinda... he has no proof. Like he didn't take yeah. anything with him, as far as I know. But yeah, yeah. I mean, again, in that day, there's not much way of documentation of how they like take pictures or anything. But I guess yeah, it's kind of a bittersweet, you know. And again, a very realistic kind of way that it would have been, especially back then. Maybe nowadays, people would definitely believe that it's possible to do that. But then. Back then, people were like, oh, you're talking nonsense. Like, and you know, there have been some people who would want to believe it and some people who would just disagree for the sake of disagreeing. And that's just how the academic community works. So. Yeah. I mean, you would at least have pocketed like a pterodactyl, pterodactyl bone or something. Like, you know. I know. Uh, so <laughs> I think in the movie, they like see whenever they go up the shaft of the volcano at the end, they're like in the shaft beforehand and there's like loads of diamonds and stuff. Like, cause, cause obviously the pressure and stuff and the heat down there. So there's like loads of diamonds. Yeah. And also, so the, I think it's like the, it's the, like different characters, I think, in that. It's basically Brandon Fraser. And then I think it's his nephew. And then some woman, there's a woman character as well. It's just Hollywoodized. But uh, I think the, the wee boy grabs like a load of diamonds and all. But then he keeps it in the hush hush. And I'd be like, no, you fucking, that's your proof there that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like how, how, there, like, like how does a, a wee boy your age come across all these diamonds and rubies and all? Like, I mean, if you're not talking nonsense, is blank. I wonder what the treasure laws in Iceland are, or what jurisdiction that even falls under with that. Because I know in in the UK, there's like a certain amount of treasure where you have to surrender it to either the landowner or, or think it's the government. Like no chance. <laughs> finders keepers yeah, like if, if you if, if you're off the coast and you find a pirate's buried treasure or freaking whatever it's a cheers like yeah if anybody but, but I mean, the government the, the government will, they'll obviously want treasure? the tax they'll tax it like but if any li- listeners are listening and are like lawyers and experts in treasury laws and international waters <laughs> let, let us know pirates out there <laughs> right on <laughs> let us know uh jay any any final thoughts um. Yeah, short and sweet. 
Much like Hans, I was sort of glad it was over and I could just go back to doing my own thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That Big was, time. I, it's, I sort of, in my head, I just, I would have assumed they would have stayed down there. I thought they might have ended up like living down there. I think I would have preferred um, that. Yeah, I, I think, I, th- I really thought it was going that way. Where like, yeah. they, you know, cause they saw the human, oh, it's the humanoid creature and I thought, oh, maybe yeah. I want to go meet some more. Like, yeah, that's what I thought. I thought they find like a wee colony or something and yeah. just chill out. But nah, no. just just, just a, uh, abruptness. Pure plot armor, shoot them out the volcano. Deusex <laughs> <Plot armor. laughs> <Big> volcano. <laughs> so yeah, that that's 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 kind of the review of the book. Um, we move on star rating. Let's do it. Yeah, happy enough to go first. Um, it's a tricky one because I think it was okay. But then looking at other books that I've kind of, you know, rated on the lower end, I'm, I'm, I kind of preferred it in a way. So I'm not sure what I'm going to rate it. Um, maybe a two and a half. Though I liked it more than the Thursday Murder Club. So I'm not sure. Two, two and a half, I'll say. Say so he said a 2.74, which would round down. Right. <laughs> Michael, what do, you, what do you think? Yeah, <clears throat> I, I, did, I did enjoy it at times. And actually doing this review made me realize that I was warmer on the book than I thought I was at the beginning of this review. The more we talked about the separate bits, I was like, oh, actually, I did enjoy that part, and I did enjoy that part. It was just, there was also parts that I did not enjoy that dragged on too long. The pacing was about off for me, and the hard science fiction, all the terminology, all the geology, it just was very dense and made it more difficult for me to enjoy in that respect. But I still did like, you know, I still did feel the sense of wonder at times. I felt I really enjoyed the parts in the tunnels. I, I thought what we got across the ocean, while, while I would have wanted it a lot more, it was good what we got, I thought. Um, and treating it like a safari, kind of seeing the book for what it is. I, I'm just going to, again, go kind of middle of the road and 2.5, just like Stephen. Um, cool. Everybody in my work tells me that I'm a master of sitting on the fence. So I guess that's my... So that's my expertise <laughs> yeah. level there. You do love sitting on the fence. Johnny, <laughs> over to you. Um, Yeah, I think I actually agree with what Michael said. I, I, like I was thinking of my rating before this, and I thought it would have been a 2. But yeah, I haven't talked about it. I did enjoy it a bit more than that, so I'm going to say 2.5. And again, we didn't mention too much about the narrator, but I thought yeah, Tim Curry was a good performance as well. Um, So yeah, overall, 2.5. Yeah, t- Tim Curry's good. He's he's kind of good in everything that he's in, though. He's just a master master performer. It was giving me Stephen Fry, but I feel like it was just the accent, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I did think you would have that sort of opinion at some point when I was at the very start. I was like, oh. It, it, was, it, it was giving me a hitchhiker's guide to get accent at the start as well, <laughs> just with a voice. And I was like, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. Just realizing that I didn't, I didn't say anything about Tom Curry. I just want to quickly add that I thought he was good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And the end, more. I enjoyed them by the end. Enjoyed them by the end. I almost wish there was more characters from the do though. Like, um, I feel like he would do really well with like a, a bigger like cast. cast yeah, yeah, that was very small, closed on cast. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, yeah, performance was still really good. I thought. Yeah. So yeah, Jason, last you round us off there. What do you think? Um, yeah, full full house uh, journey to the sitting on the fence, two and a half stars, <laughs> cool. all round. There we go. That's I think I said the first time we've had a perfect 
agreement across the board. I think yeah. it is. I think the humans, the maybe. Muddle, the muddle yeah, score humans, as well. Yeah, it's the first time all four, yeah, humans, for yeah. four of us. Cool. Well, what's next? Uh, comparisons, yeah. Um, I mean, any sort of journey book, The Hobbit. <laughs> Anything where the characters are journeying towards the center of the earth. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of made, yeah, I kind of mentioned Tolkien a bit before, but I was kind of thinking a little bit after I said that, that yeah, there is a lot of things like similar to the Hobbit, like, you know, they find the, the clue basically to lead them to a mountain. They, you know, when he gets lost and everything and whatever, but I don't know. Any, anything you think are good comparisons or you want to talk about? Uh, there's a movie of Brendan Fraser. Don't know if you've heard of it. Oh, yeah, we've talked about that, yeah. <laughs> Uh, is it the moment called George of the Jungle? Of the the Earth. Don't know, I've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it, and that's good. Do you know, one <laughs> one thing, Michael was talking about Jurassic Park earlier. I've never seen it. Bah. What? I out myself here, I've ne- never seen it. You've never seen what? Jurassic Park? <laughs> <laughs> My God. <laughs> never seen it. I'm actually in shock. <laughs> that's crazy. It's like one it's of Sam L. Jackson's finest films, like. Because he's, like he's in like two scenes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. He's barely in it. Imagine it goes like him in that order. What's that one with all the sharks and he gets eaten? Is it like that? Deep Blue Sea. Oh, Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the one with all the snakes. So Samuel Jackson just finds himself surrounded by a load of monsters all the time. <laughs> we'll move on to what we're consuming then. So take it away, guys. Go for it, Michael. Uh, what I have been consuming has been a lot of... Movies. I watched uh Jeff, I'm going you go first actually because I forget what I fucking watched. <laughs> yeah, I, I blanked as well. <laughs> oh, so so Jason stepped away for a wee bit here. Jason's gone. Uh, Jason's J- gone. J- Jason's the one. He's never office. coming back. And he'll not be back. <laughs> He's gone on a journey. To Maybe the center there. The <laughs> he might know. be going to Iceland. We don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh So yeah, what I will consume. Tell you what I'm consuming. Um. So, what am I consuming? <laughs> no idea there. I'm, uh, I've been playing, going back to play the Fallout, Fallout 3. Uh, I don't know, Michael, did you have, it was a Fallout New Vegas you had on PlayStation, I think. Yeah, I did, yeah. I never finished it. I played Fallout 4. I finished that. Um, it's a really good game, obviously. Skyrim, made by Bethesda as well. It's my favorite game ever. So, I wanted to go back and just kind of play. I actually went back and played Fallout One, but it's kind of it was made like in the late nineties, yeah, so it's it's, it's not bad. an easy one to go back to. I tried uh, as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's pants like it's it's like a it's almost like a what's the word? Like you have a tur- it's like a turn based kind of one, and it's like from yeah. a, 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 an aerial view, and you kind of just moving a character through the map, and then when you have to yeah. fight someone, you get turns. It's more, to- it's more like an adventure RPG where like yeah. the, the Fallout that we know is like an action. RPG yeah, where it's yeah, more like yeah. real time I ring it. Yeah, so I played the first yeah, I played the first couple of whatever missions or whatever, the first one and yeah, I was just like, This is crap and then the second one apparently has a lot of improvements, but like again it's the summer kind of thing, so I was like, you know what, I'll just go to Fallout Free. I wanna play that and I wanna play New Vegas and then I wanna replay Fallout Four. Um just kinda of working my way through them and then I wanna do the same thing with the like the Elder Scrolls, so on the game pass I think they have um Morrowind and Oblivion and then Skyrim so I might work my way through those as well just because I'm just having a, an RPG kind of mode at the minute um, 
so working through that and then hopefully by the time I'm done all that I might get one of those newer ones like I haven't got Lega- a Hogwarts Legacy or even Elden Ring which I heard really good so things like that so those are kind of massive RPGs um, so might get onto one of those then um, I just finished another book there on um, the Spotify book thing where you get if you're a, a premium member of Spotify you get like 15 hours a month of listening time and it was uh, The Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. Now, I did a bit of quantum theory and quantum mechanics and stuff in my uni days, but, but I still want a, a notion what he's chatting about in this half the time. Um, <laughs> but he talks a lot about like black holes and stuff like that. It's quite interesting to listen to it, and what you can pick up on is quite interesting, but it is a bit, bit of a complex I'm, book as well. I'm glad you said that, Jonathan, because it makes me feel less bad about not fucking picking up uh, much from it. Oh. The the two times I've listened to it, <laughs> uh, it's a it is a it is a tough book to listen to. Uh, most of the fairy does explain a lot of things in kind of layman's terms. There's just some yeah. things that they go a bit like too in depth that you just can't really grasp. Like yeah. I, like if you compare it to that one, the Bill Bryson short history of nearly everything, like that there is a perfect kind of level of detail on the everything. That's that's a great book, yeah. Yeah, great book. That's also uh, free on Audible now, I think, at the minute, with your membership. And it's also on that Spotify. But um, yeah, I finished that that Brief History of Time one. So my next book now that is going to be um, Dave Grohl's autobiography um, that I released not too long ago. So I'm listen to that. It's just a do a bit of autobiography because I, I, I listened to that Jeanette McCurdy one there before the Stephen Hawking one and really loved like I, I would have thought that I wouldn't really be into kind of like those kind of books you know the like bio, what do you call them like biographies and stuff like that but yeah but um, I really enjoyed the Jeanette McCurdy one and the Dave Crow one is quite highly rated so I'm going to read that next um, on that's on the Spotify thing um, to get the 15 hours on you should have recommended that Jeanette McCurdy book last time yeah, I think we should cover it eventually on this podcast because it is a very, just because it's so modern as well, like in yeah. terms of the, yeah. the problems she's talking talking about, um, especially like as a woman and stuff like that, it's going free. We, we haven't done a biography either, maybe. We no. haven't done any, a non-fiction book at all, haven't we not? No. Uh, well. Journey to the Centre there. <laughs> <laughs> we did, um, let me think. It depends how you take All Quiet on the Western Front. Like, I mean, I suppose it is fiction, but it is a fiction, but I uh, based on real events. Yeah, yeah, yeah we haven't done enough. a prop a proper non-fiction book. Um, so yeah, it might be interesting to do something like that in the future. But um, yeah, I'm not doing too much else. Just moved house there from Derry to Belfast. So at the minute, um, <laughs> I don't have any. We haven't got the Wi-Fi installed, so I have unlimited five G, but. There's, I only get perfect 5G connection at a particular part in Daniel's room, so the, my housemate's room, somewhere, and it's a sp- particular spot in his room, so my phone is now in that spot, and that's how I can <laughs> be here and talk to you now. But um, if I move the phone from that spot, then I lose all connections, so it's not convenient at the minute, so I haven't really been able to like play a lot of online stuff or download a lot of online stuff, so yeah, it's, that's kind of why I've been playing Fallout, so to be fair, I enjoy more single player kind of base games anyway but it's just like FIFA for example is a game that I play a lot of but um, haven't been able to play online so haven't been doing a lot of but that's pretty much it Have you played Dark Souls Johnny? I played about the first one I know it's like pure hard Did you like it? Um, 
like, you know what? I think I would like it. Um, I know it's got that, you know, it is supposed to be like extremely hard game, but I mean, that's kind of, I, I like like a hard single player game. Like I think games have got about too easy. You'll like Elden Ring then? Yeah, I'll hopefully get into that in the future. Cool. Go for it, Michael. Yeah, so um, I think last year I said that I was, uh, I, I looked up the best horror movies of the year and like blazed through them. I've done the same thing this year, uh, just caught up on all, everything. Apparently this year wasn't as good as a year, uh, according to most people. But I quite enjoyed a lot of the movies that I watched. I watched um, Ari Aster's third movie, uh, Bo is Afraid, starring Joaquin Phoenix. This is a very, very odd movie. Very strange and mythological. I definitely wouldn't recommend it to everyone. It's very divisive, but I actually, I uh, absolutely loved it. And I would not recommend it to most people, though, especially if you're not familiar with Ari Aster's stuff. It's very out there. It's a very strange, unusual movie, but I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the Australian horror movie, Talk to Me. It's like a kind of allegorical tale about addiction, specifically to like party drugs. But it's using like this, this hand and people like self-possess themselves. It's probably the scariest movie out of the bunch that I, I watched. I also jo- enjoyed, uh, the, the last voyage of Demeter, which is, uh, based on Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's based on like a short part portion of that book. It all takes place on a ship. So it's kind of like a, a monster movie on a ship with uh, vampires. Mm. And it's, it's pretty good. It's really good. I enjoyed it. Enjoyed Evil Dead Rise. Very silly movie. The Evil Dead one movies are all very silly and outrageous horror, but I, I do enjoy them. They're not to everybody's taste. And I watched the new Scream movie. Did not enjoy that so much. That was was not it as, bad, was it? It was pretty bad, yeah. it was Scream 6 was not as good as Scream 5 because Scream 5 was really good. And it, like, it relaunched the, the franchise in this really interesting way. And it seemed like that it was gonna, it was going interesting places again. And now Scream Six is kind of like, yeah, a step, a big step backwards. Right. But yeah, I watched a lot of movies and, um, something I wanted to bring up was, uh, Matthew Perry, uh, died oh, between yeah. episodes. And I know that's why am I bringing that up on an audiobook club podcast? Well, his, uh, his autobiography has been trending in the bestseller lists for, since then. I haven't listened to it, but I've like uh, read some excerpts of the book, um, and like has his relationship to alcohol. He uh, yeah. actually actually like related a lot to something that he said. Where I think it, I can't remember what age he said, but it was like when he was seventeen or something like that. He had his first drink, and it just felt right. And like it completed him and it filled something inside him. And I remember I kind of felt that way about my first drink as well at 17. That like it made me, it filled this anxious gap in me that I'd always felt. And it it made me extroverted when I'd always been, you know, paranoid about introversion and didn't want to be introverted. And it sort of like made me reflect kind of on whether it has a good force in my life or has been a net positive. So it like kind of got me down a path of like reading some books about how alcohol works on the brain. I read a book called Alcohol Explained because I wanted to have like a real understanding of it. And I kind of, I, I burrowed deeper and deeper into this subject and 
it sort of it made me realize that it it hasn't really filled the anxious hole in me in a long time, and it actually seems to create a rebound feeling of anxiety and depression. So I was kind of like, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it out for a while here and see how I feel. So I haven't drank anything in like 40 days at this stage, and I have to say my anxiety and depression are basically non-existent now which i've yeah. been dealing with for a long time good job man yeah so i kind of i think it's going to cause a lot of conflict in my life if i say i'm never going to drink again i know p- s- yeah. some portion of our friends are wouldn't be very happy with that you see like i think i spoke to you before about this because i did a summer thing where yeah. you know i i I, I think I told you before, like, when I'm, like, drunk, I turn into a person that I absolutely hate, right? Yeah. When I think back on things that we've done when I'm steaming, like, stay, like proper drunk steaming, right? Yeah. I'm like, what the, f- who is that guy? Yeah. And I, I hate it, right? And then I, like you, I just turn around one day and says, I'm just not gonna, just not gonna do it. Yeah. And, like, you might have noticed there have been a bunch of times where we've done something, like, you know, we've played cards or, or whatever, and I just haven't drank. And it's fine. Like, yeah. like people, like, you know, some of our friends do be like, that's kind of weird. But, yeah. like, for me, it's it's fine. Because I'm not there to get drunk. I'm there to see my friends, you know? So, yeah. I think what you're saying, though, is true. Where, like, don't say, I'm not going to drink ever again, because that's probably a lie. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> I've said that, and I was lying. Not lying, yeah. but I quickly broke that, <laughs> right? Yeah. Not because, I, you know, I was desperate for one or anything, just because it was just all, you know, randomly decided to have one, and then, you know, it was fine. Yeah. But no, uh, I have I have noticed that you have been drinking a lot less. I have been thinking about that too, as I haven't been drinking. And, um, like, it's a very, it's a hard thing to do anywhere, I think, in modern, in the modern yeah. world, but especially in Ireland, where drinking is, like, it's so ubiquitous with like having a fun time and you think like as as are you actually having fun because of the alcohol or are you having fun because you're doing fun things and you're with your friends and it's like um and here it's a tied a lot to like your masculinity it's like if you're not drinking yeah. it's like what are you gay what are you a pussy you know and i know that's that's a thing in america too toxic masculinity but i think it's even more magnified here and like men are very good at talking about their feelings here and it's it's a good way to kind of numb yourself and anesthetize yourself and repress things and i kind of don't want to like repress things anymore so it's just yeah i I just want to kind of feel my emotions and deal with things that i've been feeling so i just wanted to bring that up about matthew perry and it's it's very sad that um that he he might have possibly died because because of damage he did to his heart and his drinking years, it, I don't think it's still quite clear how he See, died. It's tricky with him because it wasn't just um, drink. He was all, he also had a super bad drug problem too. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and yeah, I think I think yeah, he had heart problems, and I think there was something about it was didn't was he found in a hot tub or something, which yeah. you're not supposed to do if you have a heart condition. Like you're not supposed yeah. to get in one for some reason. So it's it's very up in the air. Yeah, what happened there, but. Uh, good job though on the on the forty days. That's that's amazing. I will Thanks. say that it, it does get easier. Like yeah, you know, um, obviously I have had you know I, I had a drink every so often, right? But see the part going out with friends and stuff. I, I, eventually, you don't even care anymore. 
Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to have a Coke or yeah. a, a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi. Yeah. I mean, it's been sort of easy. It's know? been sort of easy for me in a way because I've just had to fight the physical craving, which I think only lasts about seven days. And then the rest is like societal pressures that yeah. get you. And, and I haven't had to face any of that because I haven't been out in anything social. And I have like a staff there coming up on like Christmas, uh, like the 1st of December. And I just don't want to drink because I don't want to feel, I don't want to feel anxious and depressed the next day. I don't want to like have suicidal thoughts, mm-hmm. which sometimes alcohol seems to stimulate in me. I just want to yeah. feel okay, you know, so... And I just wanted to talk about that on the podcast because I know we have hundreds of listeners and maybe there's somebody out there who needs to hear stuff like this and, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And good good job for bringing that up. That, that was really, you know, powerful. Thanks. One one final thing about that is um, you mentioned, um, what was it you mentioned? Like about having fun. And yeah. I'll tell you now, I've had more fun not drinking, but like being out with everyone than I, I I've had being drunk. Yeah. Which it seems, it does seem weird, but yeah, it, it is, it is fine. Yeah. So. Because I'm actually looking forward to things like, I'm like, I can't wait to do a Christmas where I don't drink and like remember the day and like can just yeah. like w- watch Jonah and see, see him having fun, you know, and not, not blur things out or anything. Yeah. 100%. Cool. But that's, I guess that's what I've not been consuming for 40 days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice tie back there. Yeah. Um, for, for me, I, I guess just to wrap up the section, I, I haven't really been consuming much either. Um, I started a new job there, the start of, well, last month at this point, but it's taken a lot of getting used to because my hours have now changed because there's, I need an, an hour overlap with the West Coast of the US. So. I made things a bit awkward. Um, and then once I finish work, I'm kind of like, you know, putting the kid to bed. And then me and Sarah watch Big Brother. And then we go to bed. <laughs> so I haven't really yeah. been consuming too much. But uh, So I have no Apple TV shows to recommend you this time around. Although I will say Slow Horses Season 3 is coming in two <laughs> weeks. So I'm excited for that. Uh, I guess <clears throat> one thing to bring up is um, we did a hackathon as part of work um so for those that don't know a hackathon is like a couple of days where you you hack something together but it could be like you know an application or maybe make some you know try making some a certain type of food or um you know maybe you do something around the house like tile your bathroom or something and this this time well for the first time i did the uh, romaji converter so i think i talked before about how i've been learning japanese and romaji is like a way to transliterate Japanese characters into Latin characters so that like English speakers like me or you could pronounce them. <clears throat> so it's a way to like reverse translate. So you type on those characters and it gives you the Japanese characters. And that, that was, that was a good fun learning experience that I did recently. And then I guess um, I've fallen off the wagon again and back playing World of Warcraft for my <laughs> sins. Um, the addictions happened me there, but it's just really good, you know? Um, and yeah, it's just boring stuff, really. Uh, I wanted to talk about one more thing too. Uh, I read a book about like dopamine, uh, dopamine nation, and it's kind of got me thinking about a lot more things. So I've like started running again, 
Now I'm, I am a person who's always has to be stimulating my mind, always has to be doing something. And yeah. the more I read never see Michael without a ball in his hand. That's what I was <laughs> going to say. You used to have a thing where you would always have a ball or an orange yeah. or something. And the more I read this book, the more I realized that's not really good for you. Like I've heard you, I mean, we've all heard this growing up. Like it's like, don't, don't use your phone at the kitchen table or it's like screen time's bad for children. And I'm like, but why, why are those things bad? And it's kind of, this book kind of explained it in a way I knew more. I've heard of dopamine, of course. It's like the reward. It's like the reward in your brain, but it made it make a lot more sense to me. Like, and there's this concept they talk about like dopamine fasting which I, I've talked to before on this podcast. I'm a fan of like fasting and stuff. So I've like, how can I incorporate like a bit more downtime into my life? Cause I, I like listening to stuff when I'm walking. That's just my time to listen to books. I don't want to, that's my, one of my non-negotiables of taken away. So I've been like out running and I, I was like, okay, I'm going to run and I'm going to do it without like listening to music or having to drown something oh, out of my brain. It. Yeah. So I'm just like out, not listening to anything trying to let, allow myself to be bored. It's driving me a little bit crazy, but I feel really great after it. And I've noticed after doing it for three weeks that my attention span, what I'm absorbing from books and everything has improved massively. So I think it has already shown beneficial, you know, it's shown benefits for my brain. So that's, that's interesting. Dopamine Nation was the book that I read, but I think there's a good few books about that subject now. Cool. Might, might give it a read. I actually, um, cause I've just moved house there. There's, there's like a path. Uh, I think it's got called, like, it's, it's a basically a path that goes from Belfast to Cumber. So Cumber is a place not far from Belfast, but, um, it's basically like a, a bike path or like a walking path. So it's, it's, it, right now I could cycle on it for 30 minutes to get from where I live in Dundonald's, which is just outside Belfast into Belfast's where I work. Um, and I could go completely on this track just having, you know, the crossroads. But it's see at night now it's obviously dark here at like five o'clock, so it's um it's like lit with red light. So when I first seen it, I was like, "Geez, that looks very scary." Because like the red light, it's 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 still quite hard to see down it. But there's something nice about it um when you're actually walking. So I went out for a walk down it the other day, and there's still loads of people on it at this even when it is dark. And I t- I've told you, Michael, ages ago I was doing that like couch to five k thing. Yeah, I started running. Um, I kind of fell away from a bit in the summer. I thought, I found it wild hard to run when it was hot outside. Uh, and just kind of fell away from it. And then I started, um, bulking, classic, uh, proper bulking for the gym. They like improve my strength. So I don't want to be doing too much cardio to lose, lose calories that way. I wanted them going straight to the muscles, like. <laughs> but, um, now at the minute I'm sitting at about 106 kg, which, um, thinks about seven, just over 17 stone or just under 17 stone. Um, so the other day when I was walking on this path, I just, just, it was like Forrest Gump kind of moment. It was like, I just started running. <laughs> so I just like, <laughs> while I was walking, I was like, God, this is such a nice night for a run. Hey, so I just like downloaded the Couch to 5k app and did the first, the first day again. Um, just randomly. But yeah, geez, I've, it was so much harder than when I did it like, well, like six months ago because I'm about 10 kg heavier than I was. Um, yeah. But, but I feel like if I now started now while I'm heavy and because of actually what well, my second point here I want to get on to is that I've also started doing intermittent fasting, which I know you're on your fasting, Michael. So yeah, I'm just doing the 16, eight one where you fast for 16 hours and then you, you have your eating period over an eight hour window, which yeah. uh, um, with, within that window is where I have my gym session. So I'm still fueled up and eat 
a lot of calories around the gym session. It's just then that I fast kind of during my non-active times. During, I mean, it's it's actually not too bad because like freaking nine of those sixteen hours I'm asleep, so um, it's really only seven hours yeah. I have to deal with being being hungry. Like, and to be fair, I'm, I'm only really hungry in the mornings um, when I'm waiting for my breakfast. So I start at like eating at like twelve, but I start my work at nine. So like those three hours were probably the hardest. But um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm trying to going to cut down the hopefully ninety kilograms. Um, so it's about sixteen kilograms I'd have to lose, or like I don't know, I missed on that as like three stone or something. So I'm going to try and do that. So the three things that I've added in my life to do that is the fasting, the running. And then I've also this third thing that I think you should try. Um, is I was reading a lot about like you know when you recover when you want to recover and stuff, or, or like actually releasing dopamine or releasing uh, uh, like your uh, like testosterone and stuff. I, like I that. think I know what you're gonna say. Is a cold chair. Yeah, I knew you were gonna say something about cold fire, yeah. but Yeah. Yeah. So see, right? I have my normal chair, and see at the very end of now, I've only only able to do it for twenty seconds at the minute. I've only done it twice, but I'm doing it every day now is they turn your shower to cold and then let it run on you for like as long as you can obviously but i can only do 20 seconds they start them absolutely like barely breathing by the end of it because like you know cold takes <laughs> your breath away but see after like obviously it's horrible while you're doing it but see it when you come out of the shower then and like dry yourself off i, I literally can't stop smiling it's like funny it's weird yeah. <laughs> it makes you it just makes you feel good or something like it's 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 so strange but apparently that, it's like releasing like yeah dopamine yeah. stuff and it's a also slow release of dopamine that that book that yeah. i i was talking about actually talks about cold therapy and it's kind of it's uh how how modern people we we kind of try to avoid pain at all costs but just like when you take a drug you get this huge spike of dopamine and then you pay back for it by the slow dip that is so sustained and happens so long by putting ourselves through like pain such as exercise which is more or less a simulated pain or cold therapy. It's like your body has the opposite reaction where, you know, the dopamine releases positively for a sustained period. So that's kind of why exercise, that's partly why exercise, obviously there's endorphins as well. There's more complex things working with exercise, but that's partly why exercise makes you happy as well. Um, yeah. Actually, actually combine the two, Jonathan, because this is how much of a crazy person I, I am. I woke up at half two in the morning, could not get back to sleep one day. I was four in the morning and I, I was still wide awake and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go run. It was absolutely freezing. Felt horrible. It was so, so cold. I got on, having done my run and I felt absolutely great because yeah. I, my body had endured so much unpleasantness. Yeah, it's kind of like you, it kind of appreciates then, like it's like having a cold shower. Once you're back in the warm, then you appreciate it more. Whereas yeah. uh, you wouldn't have had it. It's, it's, it's just weird. But um, yeah, those are the three changes I've made now to see how it works and how it goes and see if I'll be able to... My target is they'd be 90 kilograms by the, essentially the time we go on um, Jason Stagdo, which is going to be in May. So um, yeah, that be, now being uh, November. So we're going to see if I can hit that target. So we'll have monthly updates on this podcast. Yeah. 16 it's a good uh it's a good fasting regime as well um if you ever want to know like more about the science of fasting and i definitely recommend the obesity code that's like the bible on fasting that's by dr jason fung he has a clinic i think it's in toronto canada where he's like reversed diabetes for like a ton of patients and all they go on like slightly longer fasts but that's because they are you know they're diabetic and they're 
he's he's very like he he's you you skip people online who are very radical about fasting and he's not radical at all he's just like you know f- find what works for you find what you find enjoyable kind of yeah which i think is oh, what, yeah. which people should be focusing on yeah i've seen that there's all the different regimes so this one's the popular one so i'm trying this now and we'll see how this goes and then uh, yeah maybe venture on the other ones there's other ones where you like have like say a five two where it's like you have five normal days and then two really like low calorie or no calorie days yeah i've done like a few extended fasts like i've done a couple of 36 i've done a 40 hour fast the longest i've done is like a 60 hour fast i think intermittent fasting is probably enough and it's probably powerful enough it's it's getting into the routine that is the most powerful thing so you don't like have to do extended fasting or anything i just thought it was like a cool physiological thing to experience and you do feel like a, a euphoria from doing that yeah yeah, I think I don't think I would be able to go twenty four hours with my foot like I'd, I would collapse. Like, but. <laughs> you, you can surprise yourself. It's like a muscle; it it gets it builds. As yeah, you get, I mean, it. I guess you just work. Now I'm doing eight, eight hours of only eating, and just move that down to seven hours and six hours, and before you know it, yeah. two hours down. But yeah, I mean, we'll try this out. And we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I just wanted to bring that up while you were talking about that stuff. Yeah, stuff. Um, and then plugs. Any plugs? Did you want to talk about? Um, I've, uh, I've started like putting out Christmas horror stories. Um, I've done it. I'm doing it on my like usual dark tales feed and I've done it on a new feed, which is specifically for this like novella that I'm working on. It's like a serialized, uh, novella, which means that I'm just like making this up as I go and I'm releasing chapters and it's kind of inspired by like a Christmas carol was written like this. Sherlock Holmes was written like this and like Green Mile was written like this. It's like, it's kind of a scary way to write because I'm like, uh, I don't completely know where this story is going and I hope it just comes to me as I'm writing it. But like, it's, it's fun as well. Uh, and I think I, I kind of have an, a rough idea that it's going to be about seven parts long. So the first part is out there now. It's called White Winter, uh, Christmas Ghost Trilogy. It's all, uh, Christmas themed ghost stories. So. Very, very inspired, much inspired by a Christmas Carol in that way. Also, like that Black Mirror episode, um, the one about Christmas. I, I can't remember the name of it. White but Christmas. Yeah, I love that episode. I love how it's like a framing story and it ties everything together. So I'm kind of trying to do something like that. So I'll see how it works out. Was, is that the, the reason? One with John Hamm? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. <clears throat> That's my is favorite Black Christmas? Mirror episode. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so. Yeah, and the reason I'm releasing it on two two different feeds is I want to see like how viable it is to have like different stories just have their own feeds and see how they perform. If it doesn't perform well, I'll probably just put everything on the Dark Tales feed in future. But just kind of that this is purely like an experiment to see what the numbers are like as I release the episodes. Good stuff, Johnny. Any plugs? Um, off just because of me moving house and started a new job a couple of months ago and stuff. I haven't been under me youtube stuff as much but again just something that's i'm still still got videos up and i'm currently working on the next one right now so i'm starting to hopefully get back on that it's just again it's one of them things of just building the routine back back up to where it was but um i guess that's just that's just life in general like that but um yeah just just the youtube will be in the, the link cool um over to johnny then for the next book mic drop i'm away <laughs> Fuck this book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kind of wish we, I had suggested, uh, 
around the world in 80 days. I think that would have been better, but I'm scared. <laughs> I'm <scared>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought it was it was still a good choice. Like uh, I'm glad that we did it. I'm glad that we That's did it. Classics but... like you have to. I'm glad we did it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't. This is a famous book, but I remember I mentioned it to you, Michael, ages ago, and you never heard of it. So not. I don't know. No, I, See, if it's um, before the 1900s, Michael wouldn't have... Yeah, unless it's Don Quixote or Journey to the Center <laughs> of the Earth. This, yeah. <laughs> I think, I don't know if you all are, well, heard of it, but at least, I mean, from the title, it is easy to kind of guess what happens, but then it's about kind of narrowing in the guess. Yeah, it kind of always ends up right. that being the case, so... Yeah. Uh, 1883 was when this was first published. Ooh. Right. Okay, so for the next book, so just to give you a little background about this, we have obviously we're an audiobook club review and most of it has just been a kind of a narrator just narrating things. Apart from like Stephen Fry, it's kind of just some voice. This one um, is, it's like a, it is a famous book, but this is a particular adaptation of it, which has been turned on the kind of drama and has a lot of, not just somebody reading the book, but it's almost like a performance, um, which I thought was quite interesting and something different, but while still getting a classic story at the same time. So the book is Treasure Island, and that's written by Robert Louis Stevenson originally, but this adaptation is the Marty, this is the Marty Ross heard of that, adaptation. that book. <laughs> You've never heard of Treasure Island, my I mentioned this to you about a year ago. I think it was like maybe last Christmas, and I said Treasure Island, and you were like, "What's that?" I've I've heard of Treasure Treasure Island. I just haven't read it. I've read it. I've read it before. Yeah. So all right. I'll exempt myself. Heavy. Right. This so this is the like Audible's original drama version, um, and it's read by uh, Philip Glenister, Glenister, Daniel Mays, Catherine Tate, and Owen Teal. So a couple of big names in there so it is like a it's almost like a play i would say is the best way to describe it it's it's kind of like different characters so you're getting different narrators talking like playing different characters um so it's it is interesting i've listened to the first few chapters myself but i guess michael and jason jason have you ever read this never read it i mean i'm allowed to guess what i think yeah of course think it is. so we're gonna you and just you yeah. and michael playing against so steven's read it before so you're basically whoever wants to go first can Guess what they think. I'll, this I'll is go about. first. I'll go first. Um, as far as I'm aware, it is a story of uh, like pirates searching for treasure. I'm assuming an island of treasure. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> and I, I'm I'm pretty sure it's a it's, a tra- it's like a pirate story. <laughs> <laughs> Be that, Michael. Teach me your ways. <laughs> um, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> Anything to add, Michael? God, what can I add to that? That's, you know, it's a... <laughs> I, I know if I was going to say pirates because there's treasure, so and the classic thing is pirates going after treasure. I guess I'll add that there's... Uh, let me think. What can I add to this to make it random? Everything in my brain keeps going to Peter Just Pan. And like There's, there's little boys who never grow up. And uh-huh. <laughs> is there a T-Rex in it? Wait, let me think of something piratey. Let me think. You're just thinking of heck. Just, just uh, 
Just there's, anything pirate related. There's pirates <laughs> on it who has a hook. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there's a pirate on it that has a parrot on the shoulder. <laughs> there's a pirate on it who he's he's a megalomaniac and everybody's afraid of him and even his Michael own crew Wentz. and they mutiny. What? My, really? Michael Wentz. <laughs> I can't remember. I, I think that's yeah. I can't. I actually can't remember, but I think that's along the lines. Yeah. So that is just to repeat. Um, that's Treasure Island. This is the Audible original drama version, which is by Robert Louis Stevenson, who was the original author, and Marty Ross, who basically did this adaptation. And it's narrated by Philip Glenister, Daniel Mays, Catherine Tate, and Owen Teal, and. As of this time, this is uh, free with uh, the Audible Plus membership. Awesome! I'm ready. So free just, just uh, one thing. So it's not it's not the exact story. It's an abridged version, right? Is that what, is that what you mean? It follows. It is the same story. It's, it's just the same kinda, plot, but it's not the exact. I I. It's yeah. kind of like it's rather than like you know when you read the story and it's just giving you different narratives. This is like it's in a play version, so it's basically just characters talking. Yeah. Cool. Uh, excited to start that it's an audio yeah, drama instead of a yeah audio it's, it's, it's kind of the audio ways like you know I feel like this kind of takes us to a new place that we haven't been to in this review podcast yet so it'll be Stuff. it'll kind of be interesting to review not only the story here but that actual aspect of it too to see if he's enjoyed it or not because there's like I know, Stephen, you mentioned before about like the sound effects and stuff you might not have been overly fond of, but so far I've been listening to it and I'm enjoying it, but we'll see. I think it was the particular way that it was done in the book that I was listening to, so yeah. I'm, I'm going under this way uh, in open mind. Sweet. All right, so I think that'll do us then. Um, thanks for listening. And see, you later. see you next time. See you Bye. on the flip side. Remember that was my catchphrase. <laughs> the flip side. That's, that's right. <laughs> you thought oh. I'd forget. You thought I forgot. <laughs> I forgot, to be honest. I did forget. There's a good adaption of Treasure Island. If we're, if you want something to watch leading up to that episode, the Muppet Treasure Island, it's a good one. Pirates of Caribbean. I love Muppet adaptions. <laughs> it's the only way I'll understand things, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have Muppets journey to the center of the earth? <laughs> the Muppets, but Brendan Fraser's also there. <laughs> from he just <laughs> oh, What a book.